Father, in Jesus' name, again, we are excited to hear what you have in store for us today, Lord. For your word is vast, your word is diverse, Lord God. But Lord God, it uh, however possesses one thing, and that is it comes from you. And that's important to us, Lord. And now, Father, we ask you that you would help us to open our hearts and our minds to what you want to speak to us. And Lord God, not just to hear, not just to hear for knowledge, Lord God, but to create change in us. Give us the strength today. And give us the courage as well. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As a kid, I was always fascinated by the process of how a seed goes from uh, being a seed to a full-grown plant. In fact, even as an adult, it still fascinates me. You know, we have uh, currently in our family room, my, my wife has sown some seeds earlier in the, the season uh, that uh, they have finally you know, popped up out of the dirt and they're finally growing. But it never gets old in my mind. Some strange reason. It never is old. I mean, what is the right combination of time and sunlight and water and warmth and air, yes, air, that makes it all happen? And not only are those proper mixtures and combinations that they're critical, but also the innateness of that seed, uh, it has its own timeline. So you put all these things together, and then you end up with something grand. And at the end of the day, that seed which started alone, uh, it enters the dirt alone, and it eventually makes a breakthrough. And if you've ever had weeds in your yard or in the cracks of sidewalk or concrete, you can imagine as well how strong that must be to make it through all those obstacles than to finally to grow into some kind of plant. In some sense, this is what I'm going to talk about through this new series today, Breaking Through. The occasion is our call as believers and for those who have yet to believe. And this is truly our primary call, our most foundational call. And scripture is unique in many ways from other literature, as you know, because scripture is the voice of God. What we read that comes from the heart of the Lord himself. And it is also unique in that uh, God's living word, that it speaks to us as individuals, as well as organizationally as a church. And it always fascinates me because uh, sometimes uh, when I preach, uh, someone will say that, such and such really spoke to me in your message. And then I'll ask myself, did I say that? I don't even remember saying that at all. But sure enough, I said that. And it may be one minute point uh, that I thought was small, but it spoke in a large way to the heart of the individual. But specifically to, specific to that calling, that primary call is the symbolism God uses to identify or to categorize us. So he uses symbols to point us out and to speak to us. And with that in mind, we will journey together as we consider our primary call. 
What has the Lord primarily called you to be at a foundational level? Most basic level. What has God called you, called us to be? Now, I don't want you to be confused because I'm not talking about your job. Today I'm not. I'm not even talking about how you may serve in the church. I'm not speaking of whether, uh, if you're married or not. Or whether, if you are a father or mother. I'm not speaking of any of those things. Again, I'm talking about that primary and primal call of the Lord for us to recognize within that symbolism he uses to speak to us, to give us meaning today, and to give us a vision for a wonderful future as well. Uh, please turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 20. Those who had been far away from God now want to worship. There have been people who've been far away from the Lord. And we see in this passage that now they want to worship. Verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these, talking about these Greeks, they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. The context of this passage, as we see, it is the non-Jews going to worship at a Jewish feast. Even though they had come, eventually heard about Jesus, their basic reason for being there, as our passage says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast, so they had come to worship at the feast, it says these Greek fellows did. And I want us to see that looking at these verses that uh, we should be struck with the fact that some individuals who were not Jews were mixing with the Jews. Especially in light of the fact that uh, most people knew at the time that the Jews really didn't want to be around other folks. How would you want to be around people who don't want to be around you? But some Greeks of that day, they were truly worshiping God, at least as they knew him to be. They were really worshiping the Lord God. Now, uh, they may not have been fully committed to all the rites of Judaism. For instance, uh, they may say, I want to worship your God. I believe he's the true Yahweh that there is. But now when you start talking about all that circumcision stuff, uh-uh, I don't want any part of that. Why do I have to be circumcised to worship your God? But I do want to worship him. So nevertheless, they would allow him, if you're familiar with the temple, the temple grounds, they would allow them into a certain part of the temple uh, that was meant for those who were not true Jews. And that was the place where all Gentiles could actually worship. Uh, this is fascinating as we consider uh, those who are nearing themselves to Jesus, but have obstacles preventing uh, them from getting there fully. So there are those who are on their way to knowing Jesus Christ, but there are obstacles in their way uh, preventing them to get to Jesus fully. For uh, these Greeks and uh, 
the temple area, uh, what prevented them from worshiping the Lord fully because they did not accept fully all the things and all the rites and all the rituals that had, uh, that had come with their faith. So it is said that these Greeks, these Greeks that we see here in this passage, that it was also symbolic of all the Gentiles who would eventually come to worship God in Jesus Christ. Those few Greeks who had come. Now, uh, if you can imagine in your mind, uh, because remember when Jesus started his ministry, remember he was not ministering to everyone. He was only ministering to those who were of the biological Hebrew descent. He, were, uh, he, he was uh, ministering to the descendants of Abraham. But now at this point, in verse 20, we see that there were others who had heard about Jesus. Heard about Jesus and now they were trying to get to Jesus. Will you do anything to get to Jesus? Or when it gets hard, will you say, I'm just going home? But understand that in this new phase here, we speak of Jesus himself. It says here, look at John chapter 12, verse 19. Look at this new phase that's coming up, that herein lies the problem. The problem is that for the Jewish leaders, that... Uh, they had already insisted that the whole world was, was following Jesus Christ. Uh, John 12, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So they were doing their best uh, uh, to manipulate people at this point, trying to prevent people from coming to Jesus Christ. But now we look at verse 19, and from the perspective of these Jewish leaders, they were saying, everybody is following Jesus Christ. It says here, you see that you are gaining nothing. In other words, all the things that you have been trying, all the things you have been doing to prevent people from coming to Jesus Christ is not working. So there must be something up here. It must be something up. Here it is. You are a grain of wheat. And a grain of wheat must be transformed. You are a grain of wheat. And a grain of wheat must be transformed. One more time, just in case you miss it the two other times I, I spoke it. You are a grain of wheat, and a grain of wheat must be what? Transform. John 12, verse 23. And Jesus answered them. Now remember, we're coming out of verses 20, 21 and 22, that the Greeks had finally uh, realized that there was something to this Jesus. So it says, verse 22, that Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Now verse 23, and Jesus answered them. He said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, or amen, amen, or let it be, let it be. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. So now understand that these non-Jews searching for the Christ, searching for Jesus, that it was a tipping point, that it was a turning point. As it says, after those non-Jews came to seek Jesus, he immediately said what in the passage? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So this was a point in history, a, po a point in divine and spiritual history that Jesus knew was coming, and now that time had come. Why? Because the non-Jews were now seeking Jesus. 
When that happened, when those Greeks came, that there was a shift in the spiritual realm indicating it was time. It was time for Jesus to be glorified. A something, a new, a something important, something significant was about to happen. But understand that this new phase of Jesus' ministry, that it really deals with the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. You remember that promise? And it says in Abraham that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And I'm just getting started here. God told Abraham in that promise, he says, in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth they will, they shall, they absolutely will be. I want you to know you can bank on it that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. The nation of Israel had been unsuccessful in bringing the gospel of Yahweh to the world because they got sucked into the vortex of sin. So they lost themselves. They became self-centered, self-focused. So because of that, in essence, the lamp that the children of Israel, that God had to put it out, We can make a way. I can imagine God says that I have a way that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You did not accomplish it, but there is one that will accomplish it to make sure that all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And now that Jesus had faithfully uh, had faithfully uh, utilized his ministry to the Jews and they were not uh, responding properly. Now the Greeks had come. Now the non-Jews had come. And then when that happened, Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus goes on to say that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, and dies, it remains alone. Again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In other words, it's like saying, as long as you keep seeds in their package, nothing is going to happen. And I tell you, over the years, I have amassed some seeds. I've had some seeds that I had uh, good intentions on planting in the ground. And I want you to know those seeds that they had an expiration date, those seeds that I had good intention on planting one day in the ground, you know where they are today? They're still in their package. They're still alone. They're still wherever I have them in our house. Amen. Because they're all over the place sometimes. But yet, the seeds that uh, I, I took out of the package and I sold to the ground, you can imagine what went on. So part of the context, understand this, this is, this is fascinating, right? We have to put all this together to understand this, and I believe this is of the Spirit. But part of the context of this passage comes, listen to this, say it again, part of the context of this passage it comes from the death of Lazarus. Lazarus, if you recall, had fallen deathly ill. And he had eventually, of course, succumbed to death. Jesus was uh, summoned by Lazarus' sister Mary to come and heal him before it was too late. But Jesus didn't arrive in time in John 11, verse 3. This resulted in Mary being disappointed by Jesus because she knew had Jesus been there that her brother would have lived. 
Jesus, what more important things that you have to do than you can, uh, than you have to come and, and, and heal my brother. But we must remember that God's timing is not according to our timing. That God has a timeline that we can't fathom because uh, God is sovereign. Sometimes, uh, I must admit, that God lets us in on his plan. Sometimes we know when things will happen. Other times, and I would say most of the time, we're kind of just living our life. We don't know, we don't understand in our little minds about all the workings of the Lord that we serve. So Mary, and she just said, well, that's just the will of God. Oh, bless you, Lord. She was upset. And when Jesus finally came, Martha went out to greet him, and Mary stayed in the house. Verse uh, John chapter 11, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in her house. Oh, yeah, so he's going to come. You mean to tell me he's going to come now? I, I summons him. He knew uh, this is God. Yeah, we've heard about him doing other miracles. Uh, he probably knew what was going on. I'm, not, I'm just going to sit right here. But Jesus knew the plan he had for Lazarus from the very beginning. John 11, 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. You see that? So Jesus knew all along what the plan was. He knew that he was going uh, to deal with this circumstance. So Jesus resurrected Lazarus from the dead. And what was the result? And here it is, uh, John 12, verse 9. John 12 and 9. This is the result of Jesus resurrecting, and yes, resurrecting uh, Lazarus from the dead. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And you see that? Look at the very beginning of that verse. When the large, what? Crowd. Put on your spiritual mind, your, your, your spiritual thinking caps. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you here. Jesus understood the timing while Mary and Martha, uh, they were confused. They didn't know what to think of this man. John 12 and 12. Look at this. The next day, the next day, the next day, uh, the, the large crowd had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Right? So they're hearing all these things, so the results of Lazarus dying and being resurrected from the dead is Jesus Christ being exalted. And here it is. In one sense, Lazarus was a grain of wheat which needed to die in order to accomplish the largest purpose of God's will. Huh? Lazarus was a grain of wheat that needed to die in order to, in order to accomplish the purpose of God's will. Now, God didn't kill him, if you're wondering. God didn't kill him so Jesus would be known. In other words, uh, uh, Lazarus, uh, let's go ahead, let's strike him dead. Okay, now my son's going to be glorified. It was just simply the natural events. God, because he's sovereign, because he's also omniscient and he knows everything, he knows exactly uh, when Lazarus would die. He knows how Jesus would be glorified in the midst of all that when they would say, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Lord himself. But I, I want you to see the ministry of Lazarus from a larger perspective and a wider view. And that is that Lazarus dying and then risen from the dead, uh, that it produced much fruit in the ministry of Jesus. 
It took the dying of, of, of Lazarus, that one grain of wheat, in order to produce a large result, a multitude of, of glorification to Jesus Christ, who is God. Jesus was intentional and patient as he walked through the process. But in the end, the name of the Lord was glorified, which ultimately opened the door for the message of the kingdom. Large crowds were now gathering to hear Jesus and to follow him. So the death of Lazarus produced the life of the crowd. Now, let's take some time from the passage and let's turn it inward. A grain of wheat must die if it is to live out its fullest potential. Again, John 12, verse 24. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. As a follower of Jesus Christ, there should have been a time when you fell to the earth and died. Huh. No, <clears throat> we're not speaking of the physical death that Lazarus had. No. For us, this means that we need to die to the old ways before we knew Jesus Christ. Right? That means dying to uh, the old habits, dying to the old ways and, and, and all the things we used to do before Jesus Christ. Remember, I was telling you a story when I was in elementary school and how we used to uh, plant seeds and things like that. And you may have done this as well. Uh, that uh, uh, one year we uh, planted uh, bean seeds in a cup of dirt. You guys remember that? Like I can almost remember today. You know, okay, kids, you know, put the dirt in the cup. I'm like, wow, this is exciting, right? All right, now you got the dirt in the cup. Now take your finger and put your finger down in the cup just a little bit. All right, cool, cool, cool. Now uh, take the bean and put the bean in the cup. Just cover it over. All right, cool, cool. Now water it. I'm like, cool, cool. I, I, I'm so glad to see all that happening. And then we would go home and come back uh, uh, to school the next day. And I wasn't excited about all the rest of school. Only one thing I wanted to see, and I wanted to see that next day, how that bean had finally sprouted. But you know what I saw the next day, right? The next day, I saw a cup and some dirt. Right? Nothing happened. So, but we were encouraged to go ahead and water it again. So we watered it again. I'm like, maybe the next day is going to happen. And maybe the teacher explained to, explained to us how long it would take. But you know, I was a kid. I wouldn't listen to all that. I just wanted to see the, the bean sprout. And uh, so nothing happened the second day, nothing happened the third day, nothing happened the fourth day, nothing happened at the end of week one. So I said, surely, after the weekend, right, we done watered five days in a row, that when we come back on Monday, that we're going to have a, a, a plant that's finally up. And you know what I saw on that Monday? A cup of dirt. So now, with my great wisdom of a third grader, I'm saying to myself, this teacher don't know what they're talking about. Right? Because uh, we did all this watering and it's getting plenty of sun. We did everything we're supposed to be, but nothing is coming up. So we did it after the end of the second week and still really nothing. And then my wisdom kicked in. And my wisdom as a very wise third grader said, David, if it's really true that something is growing, what you need to do, you need to dig that bean out of the cup. So, yes, I did it. And yes, I got scolded for it as well because I wanted to know what was going on in that cup. So I went to, my, I went to mine, not anyone else's, right? Went to mine, and I took my hand, I dug down in there, and lo and behold, there was the bean. But I also saw the roots had finally started to grow. I'm like, uh-oh, I think I'm in trouble now. Of course, I got, got in a little trouble for digging it up and making a mess. See, uh, I didn't believe it was doing anything because all I was doing was watering dirt in a cup. The dirt in the cup was doing nothing. 
And you know what? Sometimes believers act just like dirt in a cup. You know they're good for something, but they're acting or living like good for nothing. As I dug through the cup, I saw it. that bean had sprouted a root, but I interrupted the process because I was impatient and didn't believe anything was going on beneath the surface. Is there anything worthwhile going on beneath the surface of your existence? Or are you nothing but, a, but dirt in a cup? Some of us look like there is life, but there is nothing but fake flowers and astral turf, fake grass. It may be good to look at, but it's missing that wonderful scent. and can never in a million years produce more of itself. You see, things that are alive, things that are living, that they can produce more of themselves. And again, many of us are also like me in elementary school. Digging up the seed before it had a chance to fully grow and develop. We say, you know what? This Jesus thing, it ain't working out for me. And then we disengage. Maybe even indicating that we were never saved in the first place. Yet some of us have realized, have not yet realized that we need to die in order for the fullness of the Lord to develop us and to grow us in the Spirit. So some people go ahead and die in Christ and are fully uh, His disciple, but then they refuse to die any longer. They say, I will only die up to this point, and after this I am not hearing anything else. They are willing to give up some things, but other matters uh, they essentially uh, are told, uh, they're telling the Lord, Lord, that's enough. Uh, that, that the line is drawn here, Jesus. You can uh, no longer enter into any other area in our life. In that case, they have effectively dug into the cup of dirt because they believe nothing else was happening, thereby stunting their spiritual growth and delaying longer the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you know if you are holdouts? How do you know if you are not dying to certain things? Again, just asking yourself this question. How am I living in light of the gospel being actively at work in my life? Now, when I refer to the gospel, I'm not just uh, referring uh, to a very narrow view of what the gospel is, and that is to evangelize people, but I'm speaking in a larger perspective. How would the Lord have you to live? It may be painful to die to self, to die to the past habits which gave us both joy on the one hand and grief on the other. It's like the person who smokes a cigarette. As they say, I never smoked. I heard someone say that when they would take a draw from the cigarette, that they could feel the joy of that menthol. Sound like I smoke, right? I'm just repeating what I heard someone else say. So you receive the joy of smoking the cigarette, but also you may be suffering from the side effects of that joy which is killing yourself at the same time. So our past life, that even though we may experience the joy, uh, deep down inside, it's killing us. It's killing us on the inside. Allowing yourself to die to the past sin which had you in bondage frees you on the one hand and gives you compassion for those who are struggling uh, to make it beyond where they are on the other hand. So the result of a grain of wheat dying is its productivity and purpose. And Jesus says that, uh, but if it dies, if the grain of wheat dies, it bears much fruit. The idea of the grain of wheat dying really speaks of his transformation. This would be true of Jesus, and it's true of us in a different way. 
that grain of wheat will no longer be just a seed separated on the shelf with no apparent purpose except uh, for knowing that it's actually there. But the purpose of that grain of wheat, the purpose of any grain of wheat is to produce itself. Yes, you may say, well, the purpose that I know for a grain of wheat is to make me flour so I can make me bread. Well, I get that and I understand that. But inherent within itself, uh, the reason that uh, any plant has a seed is, is to produce itself again. But don't get me wrong. I want you to know that that grain of wheat is something. It is something. That one grain is something. But that one grain is not existing to its fullest potential. Are you a grain of wheat? Are you living in your fullest potential yet? So the fullest possibility for a grain of wheat is, is, is not just limited just to being alone. Know that in each grain of wheat that there are uh, 110 more grains of wheat as a possibility. And 110 more uh, wheat plants turns out to be 12,100 grains of wheat. So 12,100 grains of wheat is the possibility of one grain of wheat. So one single solitary grain of wheat can produce 12,100 grains of wheat. This is not possible unless one grain of wheat dies and is transformed into fulfilling its greatest potential. Have you died to yourself have you died to the self-centeredness inherent within your sinfulness? And have you accepted Jesus Christ? What about those of you who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior? I know that sometimes it can be difficult, but have you died to the habits of your past? Or are you like that being which I dug up prematurely to stunt or stop the growth? You know, we can rationalize things a lot, can't we? We can say, well, the reason that uh, I'm not growing is because of this. And by the way, uh, if you recall uh, me as a kid watering a plant, that one of the things that uh, uh, every single seed needs, it needs to be watered on a regular basis. Amen? So you can water a seed on one day and then not water it for a month but at the, end of a uh, at the end of the month, you will discover that that seed may have died. But in order to get the results that you want, it's important that you consistently water that seed. If you are truly a grain of wheat that has been transformed in Christ, then the next step in your life is to bear more fruit. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15? John chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. You get that? Jesus is saying, if you're not bearing fruit, he takes it away. In every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. So Jesus expects us to produce more fruit. Jesus expects you. Jesus expects me to bear more fruit. The fruit you expected to produce 
are more disciples of Jesus Christ and a transformed life. Living things produce other living things after their own kind. An apple tree and an apple makes another apple tree and apples. Can you say amen? And this is impossible without the abiding in the Lord, as Jesus said there in John 15 and 4. So recall again that single grain of wheat. Every grain of wheat, again, it has the capacity to produce 110 grains of wheat. This is multiplication like we've never seen or heard of before. How can 1 times 1 equals 110? 1 times 1, oh, that's not the math that I grew up with. That's not the math that I got in trouble in school about. Because if I would have given this answer to my teacher, you know, she probably would have put me back a grade right away. 1 times 1 equals 110. God deals with math equations that we have never even considered because of the finiteness of our mind and the weakness of our faith. We are limited, but the Lord is limitless. Uh, but in order for God's divine multiplication to take roots in our lives, we must first die to self. Lord, that's what I want. I get it. I understand. I want that divine multiplication in my life. I want, I really, really want it, Lord. But are you willing to die to yourself? Are you willing to die to your past? Are you willing to allow the Spirit of God to transform you? Without a doubt, the world will view God's wheat as weeds. Unwanted. The need to be eradicated. But God sees the world without him as weeds. And at the end of the day, only his opinion matters in the divine court. So the question that you must ask yourself how well are you really following Christ? How well are you really following Jesus Christ? John 12, 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus says that if you love your life, it is what you ultimately will lose. Again, he speaks about the transformative nature of the power of redemption in you. That possibility. What does it mean loving your life to eventually losing it? Uh, that means that if you love your life, that all you really want is the world, then you end up with nothing. But if you want to share of all that you see in life, Jesus says that you will gain everything. Unless Jesus comes back first, we will all lose our lives to the ravages of time, deterioration, and sin. To top all of that off, most people want to live longer, if not forever, if it meant having a, a great quality of life. You know, people are jogging, taking vitamins, eating things like spinach and broccoli. I mean, come on. Great things like ice cream, amen, and potato chips. Those things are good. And also uh, brown sugar cake. All that stuff is, is good. That's the good stuff. Who wants to eat broccoli? But you know what? I, the doctor told me that if I want to get a little healthier, I got to go ahead and eat those Brussels sprouts. All of us want to extend our life or have a, a good quality of life. Why would Jesus again make that statement which flies in the face against all of our conventional wisdom? Of course, we must agree that maybe Jesus more, knows more about everything than we do. 
Secondly, we must dig deeper into the text. A couple of, of words used in Greek to designate the act of love. Uh, verse 25 says, whoever loves his life loses it. And that is uh, the Greek word agapao and the Greek word phileo. Agapao is standard, agapao, or some people you may hear the word agape. Agapao is standard in regards to how uh, we should love God or love or uh, concern his, his will. And phileo, which is what we have here in our passage, uh, on the other hand, it designates loves, uh, but more of one, which in this case refers to a self-love. Or one deeply associated with an emotional attachment to things around us. And that's within this context. So Jesus is saying that those who have a phileo, those who have a love of themselves, a love or emotional attachment to this world, at the same time are deciding against a deep love for God. So instead of having your deep love associated with your will to love the Lord, you are deciding to place your love in things that are only temporary. Namely, loving a world which has no love for God. Loving the things on this earth more than you love Jesus. What sense does it make to love the piece of wood that you're sitting on? What sense does it make to love the car that you have, that you drive daily? What sense does it make to love uh, even uh, your job so much that it, uh, it trumps Jesus Christ himself? To therefore love the world is to reject Jesus Christ and his love for you. When we love the world more than we love the Lord, Eternal life is no longer an option for us. So it's mandatory to follow Jesus if you serve him. Verse 26, John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. People can't be in service for uh, another without knowing what they want. How am I going to serve you if I don't know what you want? A person's thoughts or experiences you really care for. You, we follow them on social media. Right? We want to know what are they doing in X, Y, and Z. But those we don't care about, we don't even bother with. Even with all the notifications. So Jesus is one who says, follow me. He says, follow me. And the great side to all of this is when you serve the Lord, you also get something in return. We know that we have eternal life, and we know that that's enough. We know that we're in this relationship. And he's, but he says, he who, uh, who, who follows the Lord that Jesus, that he honors them, that the Father will honor them. The King of kings and the Lord of lords will honor those who once were lost and now are found. Jesus, can you imagine that? How can the creator of the universe honor me? I mean, me. I mean, you. I mean, what are we? Other than dirt in a cup. But knowing this, should make us feel like it is a privilege to die to self. Follow the Lord and to serve. This should be a privilege. You are a grain of wheat that has potential of being transformed and seeing others transform. You are a grain of wheat. We are grains of wheat. Are you living out your potential? Or are you living your life alone? Will you allow the Spirit of God to transform you? Will you? Let's pray.
We thank you, Father. Because you're very clearly calling us to die to ourself. Die to our selfishness. To die to all those things, Lord God, that are not like you. And we just ask you today, Lord God, that you would just show us what else, Lord, what else, what else is it about me, Lord, that I need to die to? So we invite your Holy Spirit to minister to us right now. To all your people, under the sound of my voice, Lord God, we ask you that you would minister to them, that you would speak to them right now. What do you want us to die to, Lord? What do you want us to die to? We just give it all to you, Lord. We want to be productive as your servants as we follow you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Give us the strength to die to ourselves this day. Is there anyone in this place that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Is there anyone in here? This word is for you. That you being a grain of wheat means dying to your existence without Jesus Christ. That God wants to connect with you. But it starts with you being that grain of wheat and having to die first. Because you cannot be resurrected into his glory without knowing Jesus Christ. Is there anyone in this place today, the sound of my voice, that wants to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? He's calling us simply to repent, confess our sins, and turn to him today. Is there anyone in here today? Is there anyone here today? There is. Stand to your feet. We want to pray with you. Is there anyone here today? Stand to your feet if there's anyone today. Is there anyone here today? Bless you, Lord. Is there anyone? Father, again, we want to thank you for all the ministry that Christ has done for us. We bless you, Lord God. And we realize that there's none like you. Have your way. And we ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Pastor Spencer. Thank you for being a vessel for God. Could every grain of wheat please stand to its feet?